This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary treks our books and comics podcast here on the network i'm your host matthew rushing and with me as he is always these days is dan gunther dan how is it going for you hi matthew all things are going quite well i'm excited to be here again yeah, our first podcast back after the holidays. Did y'all have a, a good Christmas up there in the frozen tundra? Absolutely. It was fairly quiet Christmas. Spent it at home with my family, uh, which was nice. And actually, the weather wasn't too bad over Christmas. We've kind of been hit with some crazy weather in the last uh, week or so, but uh, Christmas was nice. <laughs> well, that is always good. And, uh, you know, what I loved is that Star Trek.com gave us this fantastic present right at the beginning of the year. And they gave us the upcoming list of all of the novels that are going to be coming out in 2015, as well as some amazing nonfiction books for Star Trek, which we haven't had a lot of. So, Dan, what do, what do we got? Well, Matthew, uh, like you said, we've got the main... Um novel releases for every month of 2015, which is really exciting. Uh, in January, uh, the January novel is Deep Space Nine, The Missing, which of course just came out a few days ago, right at the end of December. Can't wait to get into that one. Oh, it's it's excellent. I just finished it a couple days ago. Uh, Una McCormick, of course, is one of my absolute favorite writers, and uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, I am waiting until we get closer to our interview with Una to read that fresh. So um, I'm trying to stay away from all the spoilers <laughs> and any conversations about that book because with her, I, I just don't want to know anything. I, I want to go in and, and I know just the way that she writes and how, what she does with characters. I'm really excited to see what happens. Absolutely. So uh, February, uh, we have the next generation novel, Takedown by John Jackson Miller. Uh, John Jackson Miller made his Trek debut last year with the ebook novella, uh, Titan Absent Enemies. Yeah, that was really good. I really uh, actually enjoyed that. It was so much fun to have John on the show. Uh, he'll actually be back to talk takedown as well. So I'm super excited about this because uh, as we heard from the blurbs, Picard and Riker going head to head, that's <laughs> going to be brilliant. Every fan's dream, pitting two of your favorite characters against one another. I'm really excited to see where this one goes. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, then, of course, we've got uh, 
the TOS uh, Savage Trade by Tony Daniel that'll be coming out. And in March, you've got Shadow of the Machine, the e-novella by Scott Harrison. So uh, a great month there for, for Star Trek books. Uh, April sees Enterprise's Rise of the Federation and Uncertain Logic by Christopher O. Bennett, which I am very excited to be. Now, did you see this, Dan, on the BBS Trek boards? That Christopher L. Bennett said that he felt like Tower of Babel wasn't his best work. Yeah, that really surprised me uh, because I really enjoyed that novel. Um, so, you know, kind of hearing that from him makes me really hopeful for Uncertain Logic. Uh, because he said he basically pulled out all the stops for this one. So in Christopher Bennett terms, that's got to be pretty great. And if Christopher L. Bennett thinks that the Tower of Babel wasn't his best, then gosh, I hate to think of what his best actually is. It's probably going to just blow us away. So I'm hoping that's (laughs) the case here with uh, Rise of the Federation Uncertain Logic. Absolutely, yeah. So May, uh, we have another original series novel, Crisis of Consciousness by Dave Gallanter. Uh, Now, have you read his novel from a few years ago, uh, Troublesome Minds? You know, I'm starting to think back. I don't know if I did or not. Um, Mm. I might have to just go look that one up, but it was, did you enjoy it? I really liked that novel. I thought it was kind of a, a, a hidden gem, kind of a standout TOS novel. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was really excellent. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Well, and what's great is that uh, right after that, we hit June and TNG will be back with Armageddon's Arrow by Dayton Ward. He's been talking about this one for a while. So I'm really excited to see this, especially since he said this is really going to be an adventure novel for the TNG crew. And gosh, has it been a long time (laughs) since they've done any exploring? Absolutely. (laughs) You know, it was... How many years ago now did Insurrection come out when Picard said that famous line? Does anyone remember when we used to be explorers? And (laughs) man, that's really kind of held true since then. I'm excited to see this, uh, them finally get out there and, you know, do the strange new world, seeking out new life and new civilizations thing for once. Well, and then what's great is that we get our second Deep Space Nine book of the year with Sacraments of Fire by David R. George III, which... Gosh, I could not be more excited to, especially knowing that he's going to be continuing that storyline he started in Revelations and Dust, mm-hmm. uh, and really wanted to see the fruition of that. You know, there's a lot of hints that he dropped, and I'm so glad that the editors decided to really let him play with that. Um, and then for all of those Peter David New Frontier fans, <laughs> it's back with the New Frontier return. Number one, it's an e-novella by Peter David. Sounds like, and it looks like, maybe they might be continuing the series in ebook format from now on. It kind of looks that way. The interesting thing here is uh, there was an announcement that a new trade paperback uh, was going to be coming out of New Frontier, and now it looks like they've kind of changed their minds on that and split it into three e-novellas uh, over the course of July, August, and September. So. Um, looks like we're kind of getting one novel-length story uh, in three e-novellas. So they might have decided that's kind of the way they want to go forward with New Frontier. And if it means we get New Frontier, I'm all for it. Well, and everybody is going to think I'm crazy, but I've never read any New Frontier books. Uh, You're crazy. Yeah, (laughs) I I know. Um, It was just one of those things uh, when, when New Frontier was super popular, I was in the middle of grad school. And uh, yeah. 
I I just did not have any time to read. I barely kept up with any Star Trek books at that point, uh, unless it was the summer. And so just trying to squeeze in, you know, a whole almost year's worth of, of Star Trek books in two months was really tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just never got into the series. But it's definitely something, you know, obviously doing this show that I know I'll end up going back to do. So I'm kind of excited because this will actually be my first entry into New Frontier. So Daniel <laughs> have a lot to tell me, I think, uh, when we get there. Excellent. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Well, August sees Seekers long shot by David Mack returning. So excited to be getting more Seekers. And then, of course, as we talked about, you'll get another new Frontier e-novella that, that month. And then September, which could not come soon enough. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, the culmination of Kirsten Byers' trilogy. She started with Protectors. Atonement is going to end that. And so I'm super excited to, to, to be having Kirsten back then. I uh, can't Definitely. wait to talk to her about that. Of course, the last book in that trilogy there for New Frontier will come out as well in e-novella. Uh, Titan comes back finally. James Swallow. Gosh, they we need more Titan books. And James Swallow, I think, is the man to do it. I've Absolutely. Loved his, yeah. Synthesis is one of my all-time favorite uh, Star Trek books and, and just Titan in general. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. So uh, Sight Unseen will come out then. Yeah, Titan and James Swallow put together, they're just perfection. I love his Titan novels for sure. And in November, uh, we have the next Seekers novel. Uh, this one does not yet have a title. Uh, it's by Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore. Of course, they've said that Seekers works best. They didn't even want titles with them to begin with. So, you know, I don't think it really matters that we don't have the title yet. And December, we get another original series novel uh, by Greg Cox, one of my favorite authors. And this one's called Child of Two Worlds, which makes me think it's probably going to be about Spock. And uh, I'm pretty excited about that one. Well, and it was great. You know, he wrapped up the year with that great movie era book that we did, Foul Deeds Will Rise. And I really enjoyed that book. A great cap to the year. So I'm excited to see him wrapping up the year again here in 2015. And then, as previously had been reported on StarTrek.com, they're going to be doing this really fun thing, the autobiography of James T. Kirk, the story of Starfleet's greatest captain. And Star Trek Dressing the Final Frontier will be released. And so, um, I'm really excited about these uh, ghost written by David Goodman and that autobiography of, of James T. Kirk. I think he actually picked the tagline, though, the story of Starfleet's greatest captain. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really excited about this. I've heard of this kind of idea being thrown about over the years. Uh, it's kind of cool to see it actually happening. Um, I'm kind of curious about how much of it will be kind of recapping episodes and movies we've seen um, and how much of it will be what I would really be interested in, kind of filling in the blanks of Kirk's life and childhood and growing up and uh, his personal thoughts and experiences. Well, David Goodman did Federation First 150 Years, and I think uh, the way that he tied all those things together without just rehashing, you know, the the, the stories we already knew, I thought was great. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's in great hands, this book. Um, and then, you know, I can't think of a better person to put on front of dressing the final frontier 
other than Jerry Ryan as seven of nine. <laughs> Uh, the cover alone makes me want to buy the book, but I think that this would be a really interesting book, especially for all those cosplayers out there who like to make their own costumes, kind of getting an in-depth look at, at the, the the look and design of, of Star Trek from a, a costume perspective. So I'm really excited for this to come out. I think it's going to be a beautiful book. For sure. And uh, yeah, they do, they do such a great job with these kind of things. And uh, it's just nice to see some more nonfiction coming out with mm-hmm. the Star Trek line. So yeah, behind the scenes stuff is always a lot of fun. And, uh, I'd, I'd really like to see that sort of thing ramp up again. Um, you know, bef- in the past, we've gotten a lot of like inside behind the scenes books in- of Star Trek, and it's kind of slowed down a little bit over the last few years. It's good to see more of these coming out. Well, What's really exciting is that over the holidays, we got a lot of surprises, and we've got a great surprise for you today because it's time to judge some books by their covers, and we've got three of them today, so we're going to be judging books by the covers. (laughs) We got three today. Hope you come back for more. I I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, (laughs) Jeez. To a very good place, Matthew, to a very good place. Well, it, I mean, exciting <laughs> that we have this many covers to talk about. And um, Shadow of the Machine, the e-novella by Scott Harrison, they they released that cover. And that, of course, that book takes place straight after the motion picture. And uh, what do you think, Dan? Uh, I actually really like this cover. Um, I think the use of the uh, of V'ger from the director's edition of the motion picture in the center looks really, really cool. You know, Kirk with his admiral's uniform looking all commanding. I, I, I'm i looking forward to this one. It looks very interesting. You know, I, I have to say, you know, on a whole, the, the ebook covers tend to be, they seem to be slapped together very quickly a lot of times. And mm-hmm. I can tell all of the things that they have used for this. And yet the compositing here, I think, is, is good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very compelling cover. Uh, the, you know, the, the the look they have that, that you know, Shatner has on his face as Kirk there. Like you said, the director's version of V'ger. This is sufficiently exciting to me. Um, and mainly just because I enjoy this era. Uh, Ex Machina is one of my favorite books um, by Christopher L. Bennett. And I love that era of the, the right after the motion picture. In that five-year mission time period, I don't know why we don't have more stories in that era because it's just, you know, you front load all of these books with TOS era five-year mission. Well, this is a whole another five-year mission that we really just don't know all that much about. So mm-hmm. um, I think this is a great time for authors to be giving us more books. I agree. Um, and that's one of the joys of these eBooks that have been coming out kind of the opportunity to explore uh, different parts of the Star Trek universe that we don't get to visit all that often. And that's one in particular, like you said, that I that I think could really use some fleshing out. Well, the next cover we have is Savage Trade by Tony Daniel. Uh, and uh, we've got a nice look of an Archer-class vessel that is not part of the Seekers line, although I did hear that David Mack said... He wishes they had asked him because the the naming of this vessel, it's like the USS Montana Mm -hmm. on the cover. And he said that doesn't really kind of jive where he would have gone with it because he normally has it kind of have an 
archer archery theme to them um Mm -hmm. and so something like that so he would have liked to have seen them do that but i i just like that we've got another one of these ships on the cover with the enterprise surrounded by some aliens Mm -hmm. i kind of liked some of the speculation that happened on the trek bbs maybe there's a a famous archer between now and then who has the name montana or maybe you know hannah montana becomes really well known for archery later in her life uh, possibly or <laughs> joe montana becomes the world's greatest archer so that's just uh, my speculation there so i'm, I'm pretty sure that's actually what happened yeah that, it, that's, it, that's it really in my is. personal canon now <laughs> <laughs> well i like this cover um i think it is again it's sufficiently exciting it does a great job of just kind of setting some tension here and uh it's always nice to see a uh, different Starfleet vessel involved in something with the Enterprise and Mm -hmm. and kind of seeing the fleet work together because we just don't get that a ton. So I'm hoping we get some really great storytelling uh, ideas here. And then our very last cover um, just got released and it is, for Christopher L. Bennett's Uncertain Logic. Dan, man, this, what do you think? (laughs) I personally, I think this is a beautiful cover. Uh, we've got the the Kirshara Surax original writings uh, with the planet Vulcan behind it, creating a sort of Vulcan idic symbol. Um, very stylized, very different from the covers we've been getting lately, uh, which have tended to be ship shots or or the traditional, you know, a couple of characters on the cover. This one's very different, and I kind of like it. I think it's kind of a neat design and generally looks pretty cool to my eye. I think it's going to be great because uh, I'm just excited to see us go back to Vulcan and, and really dig into the Vulcans again. And, of course, like you said, this really referencing a lot of things, the planet itself, the the awakening with the Kashar the awakening with the Kishara, and then, of course, the fact that it looks like the Itic symbol. All of those things working together, and, and Christopher L. Bennett actually said that this was um, one of the only times that he's really given a lot of feedback of what he wanted the cover to be. Hmm. So I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, they, they listened to him, and I think it's a really interesting cover. So, Right on. Well, uh, the last thing that we just wanted to remind you is that the Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover is out dan and i will be talking about that uh, a little bit more in depth next week but we just wanted to make sure that you are aware of that so you could come prepared next week uh, when you listen uh and we'll be excited to kind of jump into that and and uh, a couple of other comic issues that that we have got a chance to talk about yet because of the holidays and all before we head into our feature with Drew Stewart from Standard Orbit, we'd like to remind you that Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming each week. We've got all those classics, current bestsellers, and of course some of the most famous Star Trek books out there like Federation, Prime Directive, Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give that a try today. Catch up on all of those classic Star Trek books you've always wanted to read or that latest novel. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. We'd like to thank Audible for supporting Literary Treks and Trek FM. 
Well, Harlan Ellison's original version for the most famous TOS episode finally has come to comics. And following in the footsteps of The Star Wars, which was based on the original script for the movie that Lucas had written and and set out and obviously changed dramatically by the time it got to, to the screen, this time Ellison's story finally sees the light of day. And we've got a great friend from Standard Orbit joining us tonight, Dan, Drew Stewart, welcome to Literary Treks. Joy to you, friends. Welcome. <laughs> it's so good to have you here. In fact, Drew, is this your first time on Literary Treks, or we had you oh, before? Oh, heavens no. I've been on a couple episodes already. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What what other episodes did we end up having you on? Well, I remember one time uh, we talked about a comic where Kirk and them went back to Val and found oh, out that yes. they did need a that god a, after all. That's right, yeah. That was really fun. Um, I, I felt bad because a little bit like Tristan, you know, we had had him on for those terrible, you know, Voyager comics, and we had you on it, <laughs> and it was for some really terrible TOS comics, and so... And then you had me back on for that Harriman book, Serpents That's Among the right. Ruins. That's right, yeah, and that actually turned out to be really good, so uh, we're 50-50. So this is the first episode, I think, that uh, isn't about something with serpent in the huh. title. There we go. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, we've got a 50-50 record with you, and so it should be interesting to see how uh, this fares. We've got something kind of newish. And uh, before we get into that, we're just going to give you a blanket warning spoilers. We are going to talk through all five issues of this comic series. Now that it's finally been released, it's out. It's in trade paperback if you don't have it. I think it's definitely worth uh, picking up and taking a look at. And so we're going to walk through this this storyline as we look through the changes. And we'll talk about the differences later. But we wanted to be able to deal with the story here as it is and then kind of talk through some of those things. So we're all here for it. Uh, this issue starts out a little bit differently. Um, you know, we've got a, a drug deal going down on the Enterprise. It, not really something I'm used to seeing, you know, uh, a murder caused by a drug capitalist Yeah. Um, on, on the Enterprise. What about you guys? Definitely a little different. Uh, it was not the TOS that we're used to, kind of the uh, more sanitized universe that shows up later. Uh, definitely a little jarring to begin with. Yeah. You can see what Allison's trying to do. He's trying to poke holes in this, you know, this perfect society, whatever. Everybody's an asshole forever <laughs> in the future. <laughs> <laughs> if that could be the title of the show, Drew... <laughs> What I love here is that the the drugs look like diamond gummies. Oh yeah, <laughs> the jewels of sound. Let's not let's not undersell them. They're they're the jewels of sound, and they I forget exactly in the original script. Like the you miss the descriptions uh, in the comic, but like in the script, it's just like man, and you know the guy takes it, and it's like tripping out totally weird and it's way too detailed for it just to be a fake drug for harlan well what would you rather take the jewels of sound or methamphetamine i mean you know well, sounds mean, much cooler what, yeah <laughs> mm. yeah i mean it's like you name it ecstasy because it sounds like something you want to take <laughs> the jewels of sound Ooh, i want to be 
swimming in the jewels of sound. <laughs> that sounds awesome, you know. Um, it turns out, too, that this guy um, is, is not only a drug lord on the Enterprise, but he's also basically a drug lord throughout the galaxy because he's been hopping the planets with the Enterprise and getting the indigenous populations kind of used to this drug you know, and, 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 and giving them a little taste so they just keep wanting more and setting up basically a drug empire. So is is it sounds like almost an Orion plot, but it's not. It's just a crazy Starfleet yeah. officer under, drug capitalist. Under Kirk and Spock's nose, and they had no idea. I mean, these are parts of the problems that I have with it is just the the things that Harlan thinks that people would be able to get away with or, you know, just the characterizations are kind of iffy for me. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them, that no one would notice that there's just this guy, he's been going down by himself on planets and, and, and dealing them drugs and then contacting other ships to keep bringing the supply and you think somebody would notice. And is he doing it for money? There's no money in the future. <laughs> it it's very much reminiscent of new BSG. Like mm-hmm. everything in this feels much more like that new BSG feel. Uh even the characterizations of, of Kirk and, and Spock, they're a little bit less I guess you would say perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a lot more uh, flaws and undercurrent of emotion, even in Spock. And so this all really comes out. And, and that's really kind of in every single character. There's There are flaws here, which I think is very interesting because, I, Drew, I think you might agree. When you watch through the original series now, we can see the flaws in these characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really are there, uh, as opposed to, say, when you watch... Uh, an episode of TNG where the characters seem like, you know, gods among men, you know, they just, they are, they're as angelic as you can get most of the time. And this though feels even more realistic and kind of gritty underbelly feeling to it, which, you know, I, you come to expect from kind of a Harlan Ellison script mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to see as we talk through this and we'll talk through the differences, some of the ways that they took the, the, the nuts and bolts of it and, and brought it out to, and, and made it more, I guess, that Roddenberry Star, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yeah, it, I'm gonna say it, it a few Trek-y. times, but the this is a good story. It's just not a good Star Trek story. And I think that the, that the changes that they made to the episode make it a good Star Trek story. And as yeah. it stands, and, it, it, especially in the com- even in the comic version, it's just not not all there for me. It's kind of a alternate what if kind right. of thing. Right, sure. But yeah, yeah, it almost seems like an alternate uh universe episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know like not uh, quite the mirror universe, this, but yeah, not almost quite like ours either. Well, it not not necessarily alternate universe in in the Star Trek mirror universe, but alternate universe, our universe. Like mm-hmm. this yes. is what Star yep, Trek yep. could have been, right? If had if this had been like the second episode, but mm-hmm. the fact that Harlan kept putting it off and putting it off, and it aired like 29th, then you know you kind of he had to make some compromises in order to get with the characters that they'd already established at that point. So he takes the the drug. 
And we end up with this amazing, like, artistic, tripped-out scene of the guy kind of experience the joy of this drug, you know, and he's definitely feeling the music here. <laughs> and then he reports to the bridge because uh, apparently he's the he's the helm officer. Uh, he's sitting in Sulu's seat, and uh, Spock kind of notices that that uh, he is about to blow the entire drive because he's going, I guess, so fast, or maybe just braking really hard in space. <laughs> he's, he's got the emergency <laughs> brake on. And he's just—he's the ship still goes with the emergency brake on, which I'll never understand how why cars do that, let alone starships. So he's like, "Yeah, he's burning out the emergency brake." Yeah, damp that starboard unit. Yeah, I don't know quite what that means. I don't know what he's doing, but I don't—I don't think Harlan knows what it means either. <laughs> damp the thing, hoist the mainsail. <laughs> Spock just seems so nonchalant about this guy acting really strange. Sends him off the bridge and. So he goes walking around and he goes back to Bentwith's cabin, that's the the drug dealer, and says, I'm going to turn you in to Kirk and Spock. And so Bentwith proceeds to beat him senseless and kill him on the Enterprise. In the hallway. In, yeah. in the hallway, yeah. Not just, not just inside, you know, his room, but in the hallway. With people like 20 and, feet away. Yeah, just, just watching. Yeah. yeah. It's like a He's common occurrence in this Enterprise. <laughs> Runs to the transporter room, gets on the transporter, and beams down to this planet. Now, one thing we didn't mention at the beginning is that they have been in this area of space where their chronometers seem to be running backwards, and time seems to be uh, acting very strangely. And so when he beams down to this planet, he beams down to the source of this vortex of energy. And so Kirk, of course, hearing what's happened runs down to the transporter room, gets his boarding party and landing party, and they go down to the planet in search of this guy. You, you skipped over uh, Janice uh, grabbing a phaser rifle and blasting through the transporter room doors. <laughs> Which was awesome. Yeah. I mean, can we talk about how awesome Janice Rand is in this comic? Now, I didn't get to do it. I was mm-hmm. going to make a pros and a cons list, and the pro list was going to be so much Janice Rand. I would agree with that for sure. And that would have been like the only pro. But I I like the idea. I miss Rand and Mm -hmm. uh, having her, just seeing her in in this story makes me feel better. It's, yeah, I I think she she busts down the door with a phasal rifle, which we never saw enough of those in Star Trek. I mean, I can't, it's like maybe one or two times we ever really see them. Uh, It's sad. So they're walking along this planet and they come up to this amazing source of the radiation which is as kirk says a city a city on the edge of forever and that's and my some, other pro it looks like yeah An actual it city. looks amazing yeah it looks incredible i mean it looks like something out of uh a sci-fi basically lord of the rings mm-hmm. like if you were to sci-fi lord of the rings that's what this looks like it looks that cool it is very lord of the ringy i mean and then when you get to the guardians they look very uh you know the the kings of the the old kings the ghost kings yeah they definitely mm-hmm. kind of look like especially the nazgul in the latest hobbit movie uh if you if anybody's seen the latest hobbit movie mm-hmm. this is kind of what they look like in that film and uh, yeah 
so they end up talking to the guardians and they they tell them you know how they guard this basically this vortex of time and uh time doesn't run on their planet so they don't even know how long they've been here uh time really has no meaning here they show them how the vortex works which is that you know they can be shown any time and they could go through to that time and so for some reason kirk's like well so could we go back to the 30s right <laughs> like why why like of all of time and space kirk uh that's what you want to see the great depression sounds like a happening time let's oh, go there yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't wait to visit prohibition you know, <laughs> usa <laughs> we don't know how how that would go over well with kirk um, i like that they skipped goodness. over dinosaurs and pirate ships you yeah. think kirk would be one Seriously. of those wait i want to ride one of those dinosaurs can you send us back there it, it, <laughs> uh, oh that would be awesome and in fact dan and i uh we just recently read uh, the new uh, book the, from christopher L. bennett the, the collectors department yeah. of temporal investigations yeah and there was a very awesome dinosaur scene in that book. Uh, so we're not going to ruin it for you if you haven't read the book, okay. but just check it out. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> so so Kirk realizes that they can they can hold open a certain point in time that they can go through, uh, and unbeknownst to them, Bentwith is kind of behind them and streaks out. Basically, he grabs Rand. She elbows him in the face. Again, Rand just yeah. kicking ass. I mean, just awesome. And he makes for the portal and runs through, and he's gone. And that's the end of the first issue. Uh, and so, we, it, bum, 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 <laughs> what will happen next? So, um, it's a it's an, it's a good setup. Mm-hmm. Like they, I feel like the first issue really kind of gets you into the story. And, uh, you know, it's... I think this is the part that's probably the most different from the episode because the setup is so different from the the original, uh, what we've seen on TV so often. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that really gets you kind of pumped and jazzed to think, okay, now I want to get to the next issue because this is not my daddy Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, like you said, this setup is kind of the most different, you know, instead of McCoy, it's this drug dealer guy and uh, the Guardians. And we actually have a, a city on the edge of forever, which, you know, kind of finally makes the title make sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I was, where's the city? I don't get it. But <laughs> do, you, do you think, oh gosh, I guess we're just getting into the differences. But do you think that when they got to the production of the episode and they created the Guardian on the edge of forever... Um, they just couldn't afford to do even just a model of the cityscape, and so that's why they just had it, you know, be ruins. completely ruinous. Yeah, yeah. and that, that makes okay. the most sense. I'd say probably. No, no, no that's one hundred percent what happened. Yeah, yeah, which is too bad because again, I'm thinking, oh gosh, the the way this city looks in the comic, and they they, they could have imagined. Um, it, it it almost makes me wonder what a uh a remastered episode would look like with an actual city where the guardian mm. is in the middle. Yeah. I think that would yeah. be, you know, that's one of those things I'm like, Ooh, can Micah Kuda can we go back and, and just, just give us that alternate episode, I, you know, uh, where they've, they have digitally altered that. I think it would just look really I think cool. we asked Rossi about that 
when we had him on standard orbit. And I think he said they thought about it, but they didn't have the money either. So it's like they're fixing things that they didn't have money for in the 60s, and they still don't have enough money to do what, what really <laughs> needs to be done. Well, that is a lot of work. I mean, creating a whole CGI city and making it work. Oh, but they expanded the castle and cats. Good enough. Paw. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, and in the the cloud miner city, you know, they 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 read it. That yeah, but that's too, at so. least worth something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we we get to the second issue here, and the, I thought that just I really liked the explanation of the way that time works on this planet and why you know Kirk hasn't been affected. Uh, and why they haven't been affected and it, it 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 works a little bit like the episode and yet it seems even more plausible because of the way they've set up the the story here the way Ellison has this whole city and this whole planet with this massive you know confluence of time running through it it's almost like like we're looking into the heart of the TARDIS you know <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's what this this planet is is the heart of the TARDIS and so so they decide they're going to beam back up to the ship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when they arrive at the ship there's a little surprise waiting for them Yar pirates <laughs> welcome to the Carnor. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this was a pretty cool idea um, I can kind of understand why they, they cut it out because it's much simpler to just kind of do the Enterprise isn't up there oh my god what happened but I kind of like this idea. I think it was neat. It's it's an it's a good idea to like it because it gives uh, Kirk and Spock like they keep are worrying in the past. Even in the past, they're just like, man, I hope Rand's okay. Mm-hmm. As if they're not hundreds of years in the past, and they can live a hundred years in the past, and Rand still will not have like the door will not have <laughs> opened because it's the past. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're trying to introduce something that will drive the story and give it a sense of urgency, but there's no point because it's not like they're conjoining in real time, especially because Kirk and Spock spend like a month in the past. Mm-hmm. It's it's pointless to have it be like, let's flash back to Rand. No, it's been a month. Rand is dead <laughs> if we're going by that logic. Right, and the, and, the, and the temporal mechanics of it is that once they fix time, you know, the, the river will reorient itself and time will flow back the way it should be and so uh, you're right drew this is a completely uh kind of senseless part of the story because it doesn't make sense but you do get a good fight scene Uh, and you get more get more random elbowing people in the face (laughs) that is true which which actually happens here they they drive them out of the transporter room these these pirates these brigands because they're they're basically just renegades on a ship that looks a little bit like the Enterprise at the same time kind of looks like you might expect uh, basically an Orion ship to look like as well at this time period they they get all the pirates out and Kirk and Spock realize they have to go back and change the future you know they they have to go back to the future back to the future (laughs) we have to go back (laughs) we have to go back yeah it's not you, Marty. It's your kids. <laughs> Something's got to be done about your kids. Right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. wrong and, universe. <laughs> um, he leaves Rand, like you said, Drew, in charge of holding the door for the transporter. Which, again, why? Why wouldn't he just leave them on the planet? Right. 
why why are they hmm. having to well, pull I the think, door? Is I think that it's because that the you know we had to patch the transporter because I blew it up and you know can't beam everybody back and I don't know. There's that, and I think the other issue might be, and this might be the only thing, and it's not explained in the comic, but it could just be that Kirk is thinking, if we beam down, we all beam down, they're just going to beam down Before after us, yeah. and I can't take everyone with me through the portal, because then we're oh, definitely going to change And then heaven knows where something. they're going to jump. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, maybe that's the, the impetus for this, but then the way they use it later on it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, they should have just explained, you have to stay here because it's going to be the safest place, really. Um, and therefore, uh, we'll go and hopefully, just being Spock and I, we won't erase the future again. Mm. Ah, temporal mechanics gives me a <laughs> headache. Best Janeway line, so... What was the pirate ship doing in orbit of the time planet anyway? Shh, ah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Dan, that is a great question. Um, there are no answers to that question, nope. so let's yeah. move on. So Kirk and, and Spock uh, have this great conversation with these Guardians. Again, I think this is it's great artwork. It just looks really good here. And I think one of the things that I noticed all throughout the characterizations, especially of, of Shatner and Nimoy, pretty much spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think... On a whole, they look like the character. It, it, it almost looks like um, an Alex Ross kind of style of artwork where it's that uh, photo paint. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, some of the scenes, it's it literally just looks like Shatner standing there. And My issue it. with it is that, I guess because I'm so familiar with TOS, I recognize the screenshots that he's tracing. And every time Spock is surprised, it's the moment where the uh, pancake creature clings to his back. <laughs> and it, it's used like That's four true. times in this series. Like every time Spock acts surprised, he's just got that expression of being hit in the back by a pancake, you know, rubber vomit monster. It's mm-hmm. like, ugh. Yeah, there are a lot of times where I notice like the particular framing or how someone's face looks I can tell exactly what episode that's from so I, oh, I did notice that oh, from good. time to time as so well I'm not alone. Sure. no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> well Kirk and, and Spock they they talk to the guardians mm-hmm. they realize they can go back they have to be very careful because you, the littlest thing and, and especially not knowing what they call a fixed point in time hello stealing from Doctor Who at this point <laughs> Um, you know, if you if you mess with a person or a thing mm-hmm. that should either be dead or alive, at that point you will irreparably change history, and they can't mess with that. Uh, and then they get this nice little poem given to them by the guardians that they don't understand what it means, talking about blue yeah. and the sky and old <laughs> earth and a sun yeah, and I'm a burn not, and I'm a not key. Keen on the- the yeah, book. yeah. It's so, better than the kinda. original draft. Like Dan, you said you were you going to read the original drafts, or you you have read? I have I have not read. Any okay, of them. so <laughs> in in the or like one of the first drafts because this is like the final draft uh, of hmm. of Harlan's version of it. But like in the original draft, the Guardians flat out say, "Hey, focal point is named Edith Keeler, and she totally has to die. So you've got to let her die." <laughs> So if you find her, don't save her life. And Kirk's just like, 
I'm going to ignore that and then runs away. It's like, wait, no. <laughs> so at least this is better. But I yeah. like the idea of like, no, don't drop clues because then the guardians know what's up. And then you're just like, just tell him, just tell him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, and it makes it almost, I mean, it makes it better when they have to figure it out, you know, uh, by themselves that, you know, and two, visually you can't be given those clues as the reader of especially the comic mm-hmm. it, it 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 comes off uh, just as it's too much telling just show uh, especially in a comic you, you know most of the times you need to just show something happening because it's a visual medium anyway and it, it's better to do it than kind of already setting up the story especially one we already know how it ends mm-hmm. you know like it's not that much different than the tv episode so what I really love, though, is that Kirk and Spock run through the, a nice rainbow, bright rainbow to go through they the time They jump into portal. the motion that, picture really poster is what it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's really sweet. Um, I, I'm, I'm sad they weren't, like, holding hands and, and my little partner showed up as well. So <laughs> that would have been great. Um, well, of course, they end back at the Prussian era, you know, 1930s, uh, most likely New York type city here um all of these guys standing in line for for the bread line and of course kirk and spock arrive not so inconspicuously at this point um conspicuous is not part of the part of kirk and spock's uh uh, word it's just not in their dictionary in this version no so they're standing there and this guy starts like ranting about how this country is horrible and it's, you know, run by all of these foreigners and these aliens and now men like them are having to stand in bread lines and they pick, of course, Kirk and Spock out because they're wearing, because they definitely look like foreigners. It's confusing. <laughs> in pajamas. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. It's not next generation yet. That's that's true. Although you know, I have a nice pair of TOS pajamas. They're pretty comfy, so and they look just like that. But uh, they, of course, they end up getting chased, uh, very much like the episode. And then I didn't get this part. They end up in a fight, and then Kirk phasers Kirk the disintegrates lamp post and makes a lamp it disappear. Does that, totally I guess that scares everybody enough. Yes, yeah. they're still chasing them though. It's like what? Yeah. It's like they forgot about... Well, I mean, Harlan didn't know about the Prime Directive because he only watched Where No Man Has Gone Before and then wrote this. So it's like there's no sort of Prime Directive or worry about, you know, changing the past because they're just running Mm -hmm. and shooting. And it's like, what? Do you guys not understand what you're supposed to be doing back here? Yeah, because they're there to correct something that has changed the past. So you'd think they'd be a little worried about that. Yeah, the whole... uh, (laughs) Uh, if we stop the one thing and then start 50 other things that screw up the future, too... Over on Standard Orbit, we, we did a commentary on Mirror Mirror a couple of weeks ago, and I called the episode The Butterfly Effect, because I kept bringing it up, that, you know, every little change is supposed to make something different, and, and the Guardians warn them about this, and how time is a river, and you, you can't throw rocks in it, and you'll divert it, and then... Kirk Spock are just running around, just like, ah, oh, it will change past all over the place. It's like, shouldn't you, like, not? <laughs> that lamppost was a fixed point in time. Exactly. <laughs> you know, on that lamppost, in 20 years, somebody was going to hang, you know, some kind of banner that someone was going to see and be inspired by, or like a concert poster, and then that person doesn't go to that concert and doesn't meet, you know, 
Kirk's great great grandparents don't meet, and then then we're out of luck. Absolutely. Yeah, he starts disappearing in the picture in his pocket. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, goodness. He's got to play at that concert where his grandparents meet. <laughs> Extra, exactly. So his parents will meet. He's got to play Johnny B. Good. They, I mean, exactly. But your kids go. are going to love it. <laughs> it's, yeah, they really will. Well, they run away, and and the, the issue ends with them finding their way into this basement. And that's A thrilling where we conclusion. Us. Ex- thrilling conclusion. Spark quick to the basement. <laughs> but what if the mob follows? Uh, apparently, they're not as athletic, you know, because like Kirk and Spock had jumped over a fence and everything, and uh, like run through some laundry lines. So they lost. Not to them. mention it's disintegrating fun. a lamp post, but you know, yeah. that's no biggie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess you just don't follow those guys, uh, you know. Well, they can vaporize that lamp post was there, and now it's gone. Don't follow them. <laughs> that would so, be my takeaway. <laughs> one of the most interesting things is is the beginning of issue three, where it starts out with a great conversation between Kirk and Spock. I thought, and and just Spock talking about this. You know, this is a very barbarian world, and Kirk's kind of defending it. Well, you know, they're hungry and they're tired, and and they have this whole conversation about um, some things that are quite different from what we know and that this idea of you know Spock saying that you know his planet was never like this you know uh, for for thousands of years and they went into space you know in peace and Kirk's like well I guess that's why we hit space 200 years no uh, why the Vulcans hit space 200 years after Earth Mm -hmm. yeah um, so some very interesting things here that are quite different from what we obviously know of, of you know, the original series and, and how things turned out. Right. And so I thought that was interesting. It, apparently Vulcans never had any kind of awakening. <laughs> they, they were always these peaceful, kind of serene people. And they also made it to space 200 years after humans, when humans basically showed up on their doorstep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first contact was a little bit different, you know. Zephram Cochran landed on Vulcan and handed them a, you know, a, a CD basically of uh, <laughs> a, of uh, Ubi Dooby and uh, some whiskey. Wheeled out a yeah, jukebox. So. And- <laughs> exactly. I brought the jukebox. Like, dance. I didn't think you had one. <laughs> Hope you guys like it. <laughs> and, that's, and that's not my big problem with this this discussion. I don't don't like the characterization of Kirk and Spock in this. In, in this script, which is why they changed it. But, like, mm. uh, Spock keeps bringing up the savageness of these oppressed people in the 30s. Like, these people aren't welcoming us as gods or something. I don't know what he expects. Mm. But it's like these people are afraid and scared. This is, you know, a really crappy part of history. And Kirk's just, or Spock's like, oh, you know. Try to tell me, Earthman, uplist my race. Tell me that, and use Beckwith as an example of nobility. It's like he's being a complete jerk and talking bad to Kirk. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, he does apologize for it, but it's just... It's yeah. just neither of them act right. It seems a little bit out of character. Um, I was kind of okay with the scene, and I, I really liked it up until... I think Spock said something like, see if you can locate a ring to go through my nose. And I was like, okay, Spock. Whoa, yeah. whoa. <laughs> well, and, and what I think that was interesting here is that 
the play on that Spock is very alien in this. You know, like his his reaction to human beings and, and their and that difference is is uh, especially from the difference from the humans that he knows in the future. You know, like Kirk and you know everybody else on the Enterprise. I thought was kind of interesting and and honestly probably a little bit more should we say realistic than how it is in in the uh, you know the original series uh, you know that, that there's there's some kind of tension you know Kirk and Spock always have and especially Spock and McCoy always have that tension between basically whose race is better you know mm-hmm. um and but I thought that was interesting that because McCoy's not in this story at all that tension is playing out a little bit here between Kirk and Spock sure. and you know Drew you were saying that Spock definitely seems almost um, coming off as like just a complete a-hole to Kirk but at the same time it was interesting because they are almost equals in this scene having this conversation back and forth I thought that was kind of a an interesting play on their relationship so it is different um uh, and and like dan i i kind of bristled at the end of it by the end of it because i felt like spock was being too much of a d-bag <laughs> um, because he had gone too far basically yeah. i think he just pushed yeah. it too far it was just but before that yeah i thought it was a great conversation yeah. and an interesting take this early in tos of what these characters might have been more like mm-hmm. yeah no i'm right there with you uh and like you say, it just gets kind of pushed a little bit too far and into an uncomfortable zone, which is probably what Harlan was going for. Um, oh, yeah. And that's kind of his take on things versus the Roddenberry take on things. Well, and the coolest part, too, is that I like that Kirk is kind of vindicated with what he's been saying when the guy finds them and it's not edith who finds them here this guy finds them in his basement and basically offers them a job around this apartment building that they've broken into saying hey i've got work that i need done and you guys feel free to stay here i just need help doing the work around here and i I, basically i'll give you a job Mm -hmm. you know in in a time when people are begging for jobs um you know kirk and spock basically rely on the kindness of 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 strangers they're like Blanche Dubois at this point uh which I think is great because you know Kirk gets to turn to Spock at that point and say worse than barbarians you know like maybe you've judged a little bit too harshly there Mr. Spock which mm-hmm. Spock should know better which uh. <laughs> yeah and I think that's one of those things Drew like you said Harlan's only read the first episode of TOS so he doesn't understand these characters really where they come to and it sounds like in some ways he really didn't talk to anybody after that nope. <laughs> my guess because he again he doesn't understand where they're trying to go with these characters so this is just like as we talked about before kind of that more gritty realistic nature of the characters we meet in maybe the very first episode of where no man gone, has gone before and uh, it, it it's interesting, at least, I think, it's interesting enough to see it and um, make me wish that maybe some of these things might have played out a little bit more. And I, I definitely see this kind of thing, I wish we had seen more of in TNG, mm-hmm. you know what? Uh, mm-hmm. I really think that show could have been 
something that would stand the test of time because of that. Whereas I, I look to DS9 for that now instead of TNG because it that perfectionism is just grating after a while. To me, that's my personality. So I'm not speaking for everyone because you know there are those who just you know TNG is is their favorite, and that's what I love about Star Trek. It's got something for all of us. So. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think about the scene of of Kirk kind of being the one to think of the idea with the tricorder and all? <laughs> I think Shatner would have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 strange. Like instead of I like in the well, I mean this goes without saying. I like in the episode, the actual episode, better than this, where they've scanned the original timeline and they're trying to find the divergent point. And, you know, and the dramatic point is it breaks before it can tell him and you know, he has to fix it. In this one, he's just like, hey, tricorder, figure out what might be important. <laughs> you know, just scan around, you know, within like a 10 block radius and tell us uh, what might be important around here. And the tricorder's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it seemed a little bit too, uh, too pat kind of thing. Well, and and then it tells them that it there's six hundred and sixteen thousand five hundred and ninety focal points, <laughs> and then that's when Kirk's like, "Well, just just make that a ten kilometer radius from where we are, you know." And then it tells them, uh, and then it breaks. Um, and it tells them that it's damaged uh, and it can only give you partial data, and then it starts to repeat the phrase. From the Guardians, which is, you know, blue, the burning sun, the key, and then the, it's just gone, uh, kind of like the original episode. And so mm-hmm. I think that, uh, I don't know, it. I don't know if it's, it's just an interesting difference mm-hmm. here. Um, and it's interesting to see how they, you know, just twist it for the, the episode to kind of really give it what we know of and and make it feel, I guess, a little bit more Star Trek, so. Well, there was something in the original episode that just always kind of bugged me a little bit, was that they they couldn't even access the information on the tricorder, period, without the ship's computer. Mm -hmm. And I was, that always just kind of bugged me, like, this unit isn't... Yeah, it's in the cloud. (laughs) It's all in the cloud is what it is. Yeah, but, like, you can't... There's there's no, there's no way to view any of the information on there unless you hook it up to a You've got to remember. Damn it, this planet doesn't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> you got to remember, in the 60s, they can't imagine having a handheld device that would have oh, no. information yeah. on it. No, I get I get that for sure. <laughs> but, you know, being a child of the 80s, I, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> I say holding my iPad, looking at Kirk and <laughs> exactly. the on it. Mm. <laughs> they figure out obviously that the tricorder it needs to be fixed and Kirk realizes this is going to take having an actual job that's going to pay him money and uh, the great <laughs> thing is again <laughs> this, this yeah this guy comes in and, and says I, I know a place where, where Spock can work isn't it the um, same guy yeah. it's the same guy yeah it's the same guy he's just uh, like oh he, you he need more it. jobs eh? I understand that it's really hard for <laughs> for people who've lived here their entire lives to get a job but you weird people who barely speak our language because you're 500 years from the future. You know, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the way that you look. Uh, you look like a Chinaman. At least that's what I think you look like. And this is the point where it cuts back to 
Rand on the ship, like, yeah, <laughs> they're coming in. No, stop. Them! Meanwhile, at that very moment, but not actually. <laughs> Five hundred years in the future, but also in the past. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, and then we get this whole scene with with Spock, and he's washing dishes. He's doing his job. It's payday, and the guy basically does the math, you know, for what he's going to get paid. Is it's going to cheat him out of money? And Spock grabs his hand. And basically forces him to give him the money he's owed. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't, bugged me a it's little point, bit. It's pointless. <laughs> it's pointless. It is. It's it's kind of a pointless scene, except for the fact that as he walks out of the job, he's the one who discovers Edith Keeler. <sighs> yes, it's true. So yeah, we get the same we get the same surprise look, but it's like okay, so the the poem is blue it will be blue as the sky of the old earth. And that's the cloak that that Edith is wearing, and then she's speaking her you know love and peace stuff. So you know, and clear as truth is the next part of it, and and the sun will burn on it, and so she's got a, a sun clasp on her thing, and then and there is the key. Okay, all right, sure. So she's the focal point. That's that's great, Guardians. No, 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 no. Her last name's. Keeler, <laughs> and Spock actually points so that iffy. out. No, no, no. Her last name's Keeler. She's got to be the focal point because the <laughs> Guardians are really into puns. It's like, no, uh, yeah, Keeler. Get it? No, Spock. I don't need to get it. That's really dumb. Uh, I don't know. Like, would the Guardians have been speaking English, for example, in order to make a pun? Uh, they're really smart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've been there for thousands upon ma- probably millions and of see, years. And see, they you know, know they her name. A lot of so time. Why in not their just hands. tell them? If exactly. you're going to spoil it like that, you might as well just go all the way. Yeah, we just didn't want to give away the part of the story, you know. It's just boring when you do that. So uh, we just figured it would be more of an adventure if you had <laughs> right, to go exactly. in and like figure it out. Yeah, this is where that that first draft that you mentioned, where they just actually spell it out. I mean, like in real life that makes way more sense even though it mm-hmm. kind of guts the story later so you know you know why they got rid of that but that's what would happen <laughs> and then it, this is this is such a strange thing because Kirk and Spock are having this conversation about you know if she's the focal point then we need to stay close to her and everything and um then they end up like peeping toms on the roof like oh, watching yeah. her through their <laughs> like the house like and and of course, you know, as they're having this conversation, you know, Kirk's already falling in love because she's so beautiful, and I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's and, really. And, creepy. and then we do find out. Yeah. yeah, this was an interesting thing. So you know, Spock can't eat human food. Basically, he needs this um, kiva juice, and you uh, and he needs some yobash. <laughs> So Yobash and okay. Kiva is he like from Star Wars? Like this just sounds like something you would. That's a, those sound like aliens from Star Wars that like you met in you know the Tatooine bar. <laughs> the twin bounty hunters Yobash and Kiva. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh. So they they they've talked about the fact that they need to get an apartment in her building. Spock basically I guess runs off to get some food, and then Kirk introduces himself by saying hello. And she says hello. Yeah. And then he says hello. <laughs> and then she says that's hello. Actually, it, and... That's actually, he's not kidding. This is this is how the conversation goes in, in Harlan mm-hmm. Ellison's 
you know, <laughs> award-winning script. Hi, 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 hi. At least Kirk says, I guess that was a pretty lame way to meet you. And she says, on the contrary, it worked marvelously. I'm Sister Ian Keeler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he talks about how she just he just moved in, and she tells him he's quite handsome. She places his accent, lovely. which is weird. Yeah. Mm. It, yeah, apparently sounds just like he's from Iowa. You know, those Iowa 500 years in the thick, future. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thick accent. Well, I mean, if Scotty st- is supposed to sound like he's from Scotland and they still have the accent, you know, maybe... <laughs> yeah, but Kirk still This, this like is an interesting from thing from one of the earlier drafts, too, is that Harlan realized that he's sending these characters back four or five hundred years in the past because they hadn't really established the exact year. Um, so he's, I think he's going off of like 500. At one, at one of the earlier drafts, they talk about having to adjust their universal translator to translate 1930s English because mm. think about it. Like, if it would oh, be yeah. like if we went to King James days... And we're yeah, trying exactly. to have a conversation with King James. And he's like, you know, Versooth, see, verily, thou doest this. And you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right on, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Somebody had a little bit too much of the sauce this early in the morning. <laughs> and then you're killed as a witch. Right. So yeah, so this exactly. whole accent thing is, is really funny because it's still Harlan... You know, he dropped the whole universal translator thing, but he's still just like, oh, the accent will be, you'll be able to place it. Even though, you know, we'll have a united Earth government and, you know, Iowa probably doesn't exist. Thankfully, Kirk knows what Iowa is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that is an, that is one of those questions that somebody, I would love to see, like, answered of how, obviously, one world government on Earth kind of works because there are still distinct i mean Alaska. even we know from enterprise you know uh the british empire still has a navy that you know um malcolm's father was in and and everybody in his family has been in mm-hmm. so for him not to be in it was a kind of a disgrace for him and his family so uh, uh, apparently america the usa still exists and there are still the states oh. and all that how that all works, who knows? But it's it's an interesting concept to think that we still have distinct countries, except that we're all one at the same time. I, I who knows? Um, Kumbaya is probably sung a lot, <laughs> and um, the, this issue ends with uh, Kirk and and Edith basically walking out the door and. Spock standing behind like a serial killer uh, looking on um, and and we jump to issue four which leads us to the already happy couple having some dinner um, which is is very sweet um, in fact Kirk walks through the door and Edith knows that it's him and you know it's open Jim so uh, apparently they've been spending a lot of a lot of quality time together yeah yeah, you got to keep an eye on her, Jim. Okay. You want me to sleep with her? No, no, no. I want you to keep an eye on her. You want me to move in with her? No, I just want <laughs> you to keep an eye on her. Like how we were on the roof? You want me to fall in love with her? No. Um, They have this, uh, 
I guess, cutesy conversation. Uh, Kurt talks about how his feet hurt because these shoes aren't very comfortable that he bought, these cheap shoes and, and all of that. And then I, this was a very interesting part of this issue. And honestly, I thought, too, artistically, probably one of the best things in the comic, the way that they light this whole conversation between Kirk and Spock. Spock is challenging him. You, you know, you're getting too close to this woman and Kirk's trying to say, no, I'm not. You know, he's he's trying to do his part. He's, he's trying to do the right thing and not fall in love with her. Um, and yet at the same time, he can't help it. And what did you guys kind of think about this back and forth conversation? Because it's another one of those places where Spock opens up in a way that we don't necessarily see Vulcans do. And that human side really comes, you know, to to show in a, in a way we just, you know, we wouldn't normally see with Spock until, say, Star Trek Six. Right. Mm-hmm. I I did really love this uh, this section, especially like the artwork. First of all, the styling of it I thought was really perfect to set the mood and that kind of thing. And the conversation, yeah, I thought it was really great, personally. What did you end up thinking, Drew? Because uh, this is <laughs> I'm probably the most personal of the conversations that they end up having between them, and, and it kind of encaps that idea of what we think of as the Kirk-Spock relationship in some ways. Yeah, it's it's a good conversation. It's definitely uh, it's definitely the best scene in in the the whole script slash comic. Um, I mean, just like the the scene of I mean this is the equivalent of the you know Edith Keeler must die scene and mm. I, I don't think that you can I mean you could probably fail at writing that scene but I don't think that, that either of the interpretations of that scene uh, fails they both break your heart but it just so happens that in the comic he already knows that she's the focal point he just doesn't know mm. why because he wasn't listening to the part where it said that Beckworth is going to save something that needs to die. Because he wasn't listening to that part. Because why would he listen to these these ancient gods? It can't possibly be important. For. Right. No. These riddles. <laughs> riddles. Blah, 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 blah. Riddles. I'm sure Kurt doesn't care about riddles. Yada, yada, yada. Can I fall in love with someone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this was really interesting, too, because they, they changed something again that was very... Uh, well done I thought you know they're walking up the stairs together and she falls and Kirk doesn't reach out to save her yeah. and I thought wow they that's a really powerful scene for for this comic because Kirk is is really willing I mean he's falling in love with the person but he's also really willing to you know let her yeah, die now uh, exactly mm. um, now that he's in love with her um, and she's in love with him um, but I thought that that was really cool because she falls down the stairs and she ends up being okay, uh, even though the way that she looks in the comic looks like a dead person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't that know if anybody fall. normal that fall yeah falls like that and just pops up and is like, oh, no, fine. I'm all right, Jim. Yeah, no, it didn't hurt at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a mere flesh wound. <laughs> I'll be fine in a minute. <laughs> So it turns out that uh, they end up seeing Beckwith appear. No, they've managed to figure out exactly when and where he's going to show up. Yeah. And you know what they do? Immediately lose him. 
<laughs> Where are their phasers? Shoot him. Stun him. No, 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 no. Come on. that That's way too easy. Um, because Kirk needs to go have his moment with Edith to tell her to stay indoors, don't come out. They, they profess their love for each other. It, it's really, really nice. Kirk and Spock basically go on the prowl. They're going to go find uh, Beckwith at this point. And Kirk gets the stashed phaser. This is where they pull it. They've actually stashed the phaser away. And they go chasing Beckwith. No, what's interesting is that Spock has the phaser uh, and and Kirk says you can't use that on Beckwith. We have to bring him back alive. But then Kirk realizes that Spock is going to shoot Edith. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was incredibly dark. <laughs> I read that I was Super like, oh dark. my god. Incredibly stupid. Yeah, it doesn't... It- it just she doesn't has to die. Might as well disintegrate her. Wait, no, Spock. That's not how <laughs> yeah. things work. Well, and then you know, so, so Spock is is on his way to kill her, and he's attacked by Beckwith, who takes his phaser. Um, of course. Yeah, exactly. Who takes his phaser, and then to be continued. So we need to get one more issue. <laughs> uh, we get to get issue five. It starts with obviously they haven't caught Beckwith. Edith hasn't died yet, and uh, Kirk basically is is just kind of bribing this uh, veteran trooper Harlan Ellison's favorite character that he's ever written <laughs> yep um, and he's he's fought basically at, at one of the battles in World War one he's lost his legs he's selling apples on the side of the, of the street and uh, Kirk asks him to basically tell him if he's seen anybody wearing you know the Starfleet uniform and if he if he does to let him or, or Spock know um, so they've got their own informant and then we have our last final tear jerking moment with Edith and Kirk mm. and she talks about how she's losing her faith in the world <laughs> and humanity and then she she refers to Spock as the Chinese fellow which we haven't really touched on but Man, there's a lot of racial slurs against Chinese people in this comic. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Harlan Ellison doesn't like Chinese people, and I apologize to all those of Chinese this descent. This is kind of the way it was back then. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he's just being... Yeah, that is true. He's not whitewashing the past. Right. Yeah. That all gets boiled down to the rice picker scene. <laughs> yeah. And, and the bad part is that, is that Spock interrupts them because apparently Trooper has, has informed Spock where... Beckwith is and uh, they they go to find Beckwith and turns out he's on a rooftop and goes to shoot Kirk with the phaser that he's stolen and Trooper gets in the way and saves Kirk's life which I thought that this was actually a, a, a really nice scene mm-hmm. you know there's the, the, the whole because the whole conversation that, that Kirk and Spock are going to have later I think is actually really powerful mm-hmm. A very, very powerful conversation, and, and probably, I'll just give it away. It is the redeeming conversation and ending, I think, that makes this a great story. And in, in, you could have just tweaked this a little bit to make it more Star Trekky, and this could have been the episode. Maybe without the drug part at the mm-hmm. beginning, maybe you know, rework that a little bit too, but or something, but. Um, or just make him an informant or a spy or something who's been on the Enterprise. That would have been okay. But anyway, mm. 
I think that's really great. And and so for that, I love this scene. You know, just Spock being like, why? Why did he do that for you? And, and Kirk said, you know, because I gave him $2. It's just incredible that the, the emotion they're able to play in the comic here, I, I think it's really great. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Well, this is where the, the end comes, okay, um, uh, at least for Edith. What did you guys think about the just kind of the way that this ends up playing out? I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I seem to remember in the actual, in the script, more of Spock having to hold Kirk back, which it isn't really represented on here. I don't remember if that was an earlier draft or not, but there was at some point where... Kirk was going to go save her from being hit mm-hmm. by the truck and that Spock had to hold him back instead of holding back the person who was going to do it originally which is what Spock does is he, he grabs Beckwith and stops him from trying to save Edith because Beckwith is trying to save Edith because that's what you do when you've got you know you don't let a poor old even though you just murdered a veteran <laughs> you, you you don't want to let, you know, a nice-looking lady get hit by a truck. And I know that this is the crux of the story, but I just don't... The way that it works in the episode is so much, I, I guess, cleaner, but it's just better. That it's somebody we know, and that it's somebody we yeah. know wants to save it, not this murdering drug dealer guy. That's kind of the key uh, difference between the two, I think, is introducing McCoy, someone we know and love. That said, I did really like this ending as well. Not as much, but um, I did think it was very interesting that Beckwith, this person we've seen, we've seen do horrible things, still kind of had enough quote-unquote humanity in him to attempt to save someone being hit by a vehicle. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, and I don't know. I kind of like to explore that a little bit more but I'm not sure what else to say <laughs> and that's, yeah that's the cool thing so they we'll talk through this part a little bit quickly they end back on the planet because everything has is reset and Beckwith ends up running back into the vortex thinking he can escape and it ends up that the the guardians tell him that his forever will be in the heart of an exploding sun a nova that he has named his own doom and it is a it is a wretched looking scene of horror and anguish it makes me think of the idea of what i feel like hell mm-hmm. looks like for people yeah. that just continues to go on forever and ever and so really well represented here and and this is where i think I'd like to go and just kind of wrap up our discussion of, of the comic series. It is a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Uh, Kirk and Spock have, because Spock can't understand. He says, I, you could not stop Beckwith. I understand that. But Beckwith, an immoral, evil, a killer, selfish, incapable of anything. Why? And Kirk says, why did he risk his, her, his life to save her or his own? And he says, yes. And, and then... Kirk says, we look at our race and this parade of men and women and the unbelievable harm and cruelty they do, and we sigh and say, perhaps our time is past. Let the sharks and the cockroaches take over. And then he says something I think is just really profound. He says, 
And without knowing why or even thinking of it, the worst among us does the great thing, the noble deed, that spark of impossible human godliness. And we say perhaps the human race is entitled to a little more sufferance. Let them keep trying to reach the dream. And Spock says, evil can come from good and good from evil, which is such a biblical mm-hmm. i mean this just drips with with judeo christian biblical values of that there there's an absolute depravity of humanity and that at the same time there's also something we see in ourselves uh, as kirk says a spark of impossible human godliness mm-hmm. and and how these two things war with each other and this is what i thought just made this so powerful and and even though i don't like this as much as i like the the original episode i like this conversation and this ending 20 billion times more because the weight of the metaphysical conversation that spock and kirk are having basically about the problem of evil is incredible Mm -hmm. i agree on that note great deal um i kind of spent about probably when i first read this about 20 minutes just kind of going back over these last couple of pages again and again because i i don't know something really spoke to me in it i thought it was amazing yeah like and like i said before and i said that i would say again this is a good story Mm -hmm. i mean it's worth reading it's worth discussing it's worth uh uh talking about and 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 thinking about it's just it's a good twilight zone it's a good mm. it's a good uh you know just one off kind of story it doesn't need to be kirk and spock to make these points um, right which is which is the thing and that and the harlan's big problem is like oh they changed everything about it but they made it star trek they made it they they gave us the character beats that the, that this did which you know because DC knows the characters that's why she changed everything mm. and but yeah, it is a shame to lose that kind of conversation but you also gain the simplicity of the ending of the episode which is you know the moral of the story it's obvious the the moral of the story of the episode and, and they're not going to speak it to you they're not going to give you a big speech about it they're just going to say, let's get the hell out of here and just cut to the credits. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that between the differences and, and the things that, you know, we may have liked or, or didn't like. I think looking back now and, and kind of seeing where this original, the his final draft came and then where DC took it is is a really great amalgamation I just wish that she had been able to keep this conversation. And by changing it to have McCoy be the person, you did lose a a big thrust of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like you could have, you know, we, we had done in Star Trek, you know, you could have had this person, you know, they didn't have to be a drug dealer or anything. Um, but, you know, maybe they're a spy uh, and they're trying to get away and they pick up a hypo and they don't know what's in it and it causes you know that kind of thing basically something like that um 
just so that you could get still to this end conversation, which I think is, it's such a Star Trek-y conversation. And it's so rife with amazing metaphorical ideas uh, and a strange, very strange mixture of, um, as, as a lot of, especially early Star Trek is and then Deep Space Nine is, atheism and 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 judeo-christian values kind of ramming against each other and 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 pushing on each other trying to you know find some kind of semblance of of understanding uh between the two and how do we uh, move forward uh i just that's what i i really love about this um and so yeah this isn't this isn't better than um the the original story that we see on screen it's not worse it is just different and i, I think it's so worth going in and taking a look at um so mm. and and the best part about reading it in the comics is you don't have uh you're not buying something where a third of it is uh harlan ellison complaining about his readers of that particular book because that's the entire first third of that of that screenplay is <laughs> an essay that he wrote that's just, you know, then freaking Gene Roddenberry. Oh, you think he's so perfect, but he's not. He's a liar and a cheat, and he cheated me out of my story. And it, it's, <laughs> it's, incensing. <laughs> wow. Well, quickly, what did you guys think? Because it's a big part of this story. Um, artwork, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, did it work for you? Does it not work, Drew? Um. I've I've seen this artwork before in the uh, in the Doctor Who Next Generation crossover thing, and I didn't I don't like it. I like I like my comics to yes look like the characters sure, but I don't like it when they look exactly like the character. Especially mm-hmm. when uh, you know, like Dan and I were saying, we recognize a lot of these screenshots, and so it's just like oh well. You know, you might as well do what that that one guy did. I don't know. Did did that come out yet? The one with the he did the photo novels again, but like used oh, all yeah. the screenshots yeah, and stuff. Photo. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You might as well do that. <laughs> mm. I mean, the the style I like. Like, if it was a poster on my wall, I'd really like it. But as a sequential story, I, I don't care for it. The shots of the characters that were taken from the episodes, I do have to admit that kind of brought me out of the story a couple times to me the parts that really stand out are the original uh parts like for example when the uh the first crew member is basically getting high on the bridge and just that progression of his face i think is incredible uh we talked a little bit about the uh beckwith at the end in the heart of the nova um that's that was one page I just I stared at that for like a good few minutes just kind of picking out little details it was incredible I love those sequences uh that conversation between Kirk and Spock like we'd said was just outstanding a couple times I agree with you here and there the uh character likenesses the um basically just copied from screen screen captures and that kind of thing it was a little bit oh yeah I know what episode that's from but Overall, I love the artwork in this. I'm more on the, on the side of, of really loving the artwork, especially the scenes um, like the city we talked mm-hmm. about. You know, I, I thought like that worked so well, and I I personally, 
unlike you, Drew, I love that artwork where they're able to capture the likeness of the character so well, but at the same time, it feels like art. Like, uh, this comic just felt like, um, it felt like an Alec Ross comic to me, which I really enjoy Alec Ross's work, especially on, like, Kingdom Come or uh, those kind of things, or, you know, he's done tons of covers or anything like that, so I like that. But this one, in some ways... Like you said, Dan, there were some of those trippy moments or any time when they were talking to the Guardians, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Or some of those establishing shots of, uh, you know, 1930s was were, were fantastic, you know. So I I really and just kind of liked that. Um, in the end, the, the comic here, what would you guys rate it? Uh, Drew, what, what rating would you give to, to this uh, five-part series? Oh, goodness. Well, I don't even know how I would rate it. Like, I'm, I don't want to rate it in comparison to the actual episode. I yeah, I would just say, just say um, it's a standalone, you know, Star Trek story. As a, as a historical artifact, I, I've been wanting to refer to it as that. Because uh, I, I love the behind the scenes stuff. You know, these are the voyages, all that kind of stuff. And it, it's great to have that that kind of historical thing. Uh, comic booked. I'd love to see like the original version of the alternative factor in in this <laughs> kind of format. You know, just to yeah. see more what ifs like this. And and so I guess as as a concept and as a story, I'm gonna give it a seven. Seven out of ten. Do we do silly do we do silly numbers here? <laughs> no, I think that's I think it's No I mean it's, do we do like, definitely like one. seven out of ten, you know, uh, time traveling monkeys or anything like that. We oh, do. we do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's it. Time traveling monkeys. I don't know where they came from, but they're they're, they're here now. It. I love it. Oh man! Again, it's it's tough because you want to bring in the original episode, the classic episode that you grew up with. But if I were to take it on its own by itself, irrespective of anything else, I would have to give it probably. 8 out of 10 jewels of sound. Oh, ooh, excellent. They were jewels, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thinking through this, um, I think that uh, it's it definitely, like you said, Drew, earlier, it's, it's worth the read. You should pick this up, you know, especially as a Star Trek fan and, and just kind of, even if you're just somebody who's also just interested in how scripts work, yes. you know, and, and how, the changes that they go through. It's a very interesting thing to see how the rewrite process goes through because, you know, you can read this and then you can go watch the original episode and see what DC did with that and how, you know, script writers work and how they rewrite things. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to actually see some of the original scripts from Star Trek II mm-hmm. uh, done like this and then kind of see what Meyer had done to it since he just took bits and pieces he liked from all of them and in what 12 days he created star trek 2 uh you know so that's what those are the kind of things that i think are, are really interesting and and i would i would say you know this is probably for me uh seven and a half uh janice rand ass kickings <laughs> so you know nice. just good rating uh yeah so well drew it has just been fantastic to, to have yeah. you on the show um, and tell everybody uh, where they can find you on the interwebs and of course the network they can uh, they can very easily just flip over to standard orbit I don't know how you f- you might flip in your podcast thing but it's like another channel 
uh, on your on your dial there. Uh, there, Mike Schindler and I talk about uh, TOS. We do commentaries. We're in the middle of our uh, creating our own canon, where we're we're throwing out episodes that we don't really think need to be there. Uh, uh, Mike says like saying that brevity is the soul of wit, and so you know sometimes shorter is better. Uh, that's been a fun series we've been doing. We've also been kind of stepping on your territory. We uh, we've been talking about the JJ verse comics and comparing them to the episode and and discussing the changes that that it looks like uh, the JJ verse is making and how that all led into into darkness, which is a lot helpful. We haven't gotten past into darkness. I don't know. I haven't even read those comics yet, so. <laughs> We haven't, we haven't gotten into that yet. But uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And I also hang out at the Babel Conference, which you can get to at uh, facebook.com slash groups slash the Babel Conference. Well, that was a lot of fun talking about the uh, Harlan Ellison City on the Edge of Forever comics with Drew. Yeah, it really was. It was is great to be able to get a chance to to talk through that finally. You know, I, I, as I said, I hadn't touched it at all, and was really interested to see what was actually going to happen and play out in these comics. I've never read the you know the screenplay either, so I had a great time today. You know, discovering this, mm-hmm. and regardless of whether I liked parts of the story, it was an enjoyable experience experiencing a, a Star Trek story in a in a different light. Definitely. Um, I really enjoyed reading it. I didn't read it all in one day like you did, but uh, I did find myself reading an issue and then kind of immediately downloading the next one to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, in about three evenings, I, I went through all five issues and I I was impressed. Like Like you said, don't know about comparing it to the original you don't really want to do that too much but uh it was a really enjoyable experience and i loved reading it well dan it's been great talking to you and and of course drew about city on the edge of forever harlan ellison's original script in the comics but it's of course it's not the only thing that we've been talking about on trek fm here the past week so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so, it our birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see then... ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like, they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would, I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. 
I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because the Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action-adventure, road race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out greatly and it makes it easier for other listeners to find the show when they search in iTunes. And so do star ratings and reviews. So if you give us one of those, let us know you did, especially if you're in another country and we'll give you a shout out on the show. But if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm you'll find our current goals and the milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you these perks include early access to content exclusive content producer credits seats on our content development team and more guys we can't do this without you and we really appreciate any support that you can give us and we hope that you will join the team again you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm if you'd like to contact us, you can do so at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. You can go to the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course, we're all in the Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only group there on the Babel Conference. Just search B-A-B-E-L in the search field on Facebook or make it easier on yourself. Go to Trek FM and click discussion on the menu bar. We'd like to thank our associate producers here on the show. Will Wynn, who's on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn. And of course, in the Babel Conference. He's also the associate producer on The Orb and Earl Gray and is Trek FM's content coordinator. If you have any ideas for future shows or content, just shoot him off an email at will.win at trek.fm. Or, of course, just send him a tweet. And we'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens for her support of the network and being an associate producer on Literary Treks as well. You can find her on Twitter at Flip18. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring Literary Trek and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor, of course, is Audible.com, the perfect sponsor for Literary Treks. Audible is a great way to read all of those books and especially all those back catalog Star Trek books that you never thought you'd have time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm, and we thank them for their support of Literary Treks and the network. So, Dan, before we go, of course, where can everybody find you online? Well, Matthew, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on facebook.com slash treklitreviews. I'm on Twitter at treklitreviews. My website where I review Star Trek novels, both new and old, is just www.treklit.com. And my reviews of newer novels are carried on trekcore.com as well. 
And Matthew, when you're not stalking Edith Keeler from the rooftops of Depression-era New York, where can we find you? Well, goodness, uh, that's a full-time job these days. Uh, <laughs> but you can find me, of course, on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing the 602 Club, talking about all things geeky all the time. We just choose a new geek topic every week and go at it. So join us there. You can also find me doing the Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And then the last place is on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Yeoman Rand is definitely the best thing about this whole thing. Ah, yeah, she looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that might be the the teaser at the. I mean, the the stinger at the end, <laughs> right there. <laughs> That'll be the one thing that we can all agree on. <laughs> but Yeoman yeah. Rand, she Yeoman looked Rand. great. There we go.